0: Welcome
1: to another episode of What's New and Wagyu. This is Stephen and Lane again, and today we're going to cover some butcher shop talk. I decided that um, we'd take a break in between the 70s aerables and the new Arables to have a snippet of fun information from the butcher shop. So, Lane um, Lane got his new saw done, so I'm going to let him start off with, with the talk
2: of the new saw. Well, we... We're able to purchase a 1925 Biro meat saw, and this saw is huge. has a great big table, has a great big sliding table. It can accommodate any chuck, any size, um, deep, wide, tall, you name it, and that table will accommodate it, and it makes it a lot easier for us to cut. It, but, it weighs enough. Um, I, I told Lane that I think
1: it weighs the same amount as a baby
2: elephant. It is big, and it's heavy-dewy, and it's amazing. And when we first got it, we took it to a friend of mine who's kind of a... Well, he's an engineer. A machinist engineer. And, uh, and we ordered all the parts so that all, all the old... Obsolete parts could be... We we refitted it. So the reality is, is we resto-modded it. Yes, we did.
1: Um, You know, those from the car world understand it. Those that aren't from the car world um, pretty much means we took all the old stuff that was still good and kept it, and then we replaced or upgraded anything that needed updating. And we went from a meager one-horsepower motor... To an industrial
2: five-horsepower motor. And this thing will cut your arm off quicker than anything if you're not looking and being careful with it. The other thing about this saw is when we first took it to our friend, uh, it had a one-horsepower engine on it because they had b- broke the old one or this Burned machine. up the three-phase,
1: whatever happened. And this
2: machine had had some kind of accident. <laughs> because it had been welded back together and moved, and parts, and and uh, it had suffered a lot of trauma sometime in its life.
1: And and I would assume that it fell out of somebody's truck during transport by the way it looked.
2: Yeah, and it and they were able to get it back to probably fifty percent of what it was before before we took it over.
1: And Brent's one of those engineers that are. He's a structural mechanical engineer, so I would say at this point in time we're probably 98% of how it would have come off the line.
2: And one of the things that we did is the people that had replaced it broke the saw, they put a one-horsepower motor on it, and they were using it in their shop to cut plywood. Or whatever other wood they had. Right. They weren't using it for meat. They, They did say that they were cutting elk with it from time to time. But that's almost a little bit, I think they stretched it. That's what they bought it for, but I don't think they ever used it for what they bought it for. Right, right. But anyway, so we get it back to the shop first First round, and I turn it on, and I'm just so excited. I'm like a kid in the candy store. It's Christmas, and I got my new toy, and I turn it on, and I, and it's running pretty good, and RPMs look right and things, and I take a... A leg of a of a steer, and I go to cut some soup bone, and I can't even get through the can't <laughs> even get through the and this the thing legs. this
1: thing no joke weighs as much as a baby elephant, so we had to roll it all the way back out of the shop and take it back down to Brent's,
2: so we took it back down to Brent, and we we told him about our interest morning of feelings being hurt and christmas being ruined right and
1: and then brent researched it and it came with a three horsepower
2: motor and some of the models came with a five right but they were different they were compact and things back then and we could not find a motor that would fit within the drive
1: no no and and within the 220 because we have no three phase
2: at the shop and so he said well I can put a platform on this. I can modify it I can modify it for it. So instead of a four-wheeled saw now, we have a six-wheeled saw. Um, but, but And here's the reality of it.
1: Putting that monster motor on the backside of it actually made it more stable. It did. It gave us an extra two wheels, an extra two platforms. Like, like it really made the saw, the few problems the saw had, it, it fixed the structural integrity I was worried about.
2: And he, he completely encased that so the, the motor runs dry water can't get into that compartment he's got air ventilation holes drilled up through the bottom of the panel and so that it can pull air in and then it exits up above it along back the saw i mean he really put a lot of thought and effort into getting this getting done right
1: well and the benefit is too is is it is a complete resto mod like you're not gonna find a saw like this anywhere else no. Now, the one reason this is important is, is growing up, I always went into butcher shops that had cool old saws because most butchers buy one saw and they have it almost their whole career.
2: And this saw, it's an amazing saw. It's an amazing piece of equipment. And the basicness of the engineering
1: behind it is, is what I love the most. There is nothing on that saw that we can't fix. If, if Lane has a problem at the shop with the saw... He can work on it well enough there at the shop that we can keep going. And if it gets to be a little bit bigger project problem, we, we take, always have a brand. Yeah, we just take it back to Brent's house. But but the reality is, is when you walk into new butcher shops, I get tired of seeing these big square saws. I hate it. I, I absolutely hate it. And I told Lane, right, we have a big square saw. And I, I would tell him, I go, you know, we need to figure out something different. And, and it's probably like most people
2: would assume that this is a waste of money for us.
1: But it, it is. But I don't really care. Why do people restore cars?
2: Well, actually, this isn't going to be a, big waste, a waste of money for us because it has increased our efficiency. Oh, yeah, by far. By far. And the other thing is, is it's tall enough that our tall guys aren't bending over and having problems anymore. In fact, the little fat short guy, the old guy, it uh, hits him about boob level. So yeah, it keeps. I, I, have, level. I have a little bit of a uh, problem working this saw.
1: Right, but but again, but my most other of our guys are almost
2: six feet tall, or they're taller. Six, yeah, six two, six six, yeah, yeah. Six three. So, so our guys, I mean, our they're, guys they're, are big. They're, they're big guys, and they
0: love it.
1: And, and the other thing is, guys, um, I will tell you in the butcher shop world, uh, steps matter because steps are are what slow you down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing that slows you down is ineffective equipment. Correct. Um, you know, so, so you've got to keep those two things in mind when you're, when you're at your butcher shop or you're building one or, or you go and visit one to see if they're going to be doing your stuff. Right. Correct. You you want to make sure that they have the equipment necessary to get the things done. So, you know, now, now we talked about Bertha. I've been calling her that cause she's hefty. And, um, <laughs> she is hefty. Like no joke. Like I bet you that saw. And always, she has. Marvelous curves. She does. And that's actually why I like the car, the saw so much. It, you know, when they, they built the saws in the 20s and 30s and even into the 50s, they had these big sweeping curves just like they had in their cars. Like they really did make things pretty and not just functional.
2: And even our hinges.
1: Right. We were able right. to
2: find original hinges to put back on this that they're scalloped, curved, and round and right. fit and they look beautiful. And we didn't have to just go and find some square hinge somewhere and, and put our work. door back on. But it's it's just it's just a beautiful saw.
1: And 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 that's the reality, guys. Like sometimes at the butcher shop, it's not about cutting meat. It's having stuff there that's functional and fun. You know, me and Lane went through an interesting phase when we were first trying to decide how we were going to package
2: stuff. Right. Oh boy. We Lane loved the paper and plastic because he's do old. It. Yeah, I'm older, but. It's, it was an effective way to do things for a long time.
1: Right, right. And then heat shrink came out, and Steve we... had to have a shrink treat, right, shrink Right, right. I, I wanted a heat shrink machine. But, but the reason... There was something that happened before then. I had go hey, Lane, what about a vacuum machine? Oh, no, they take
2: too long. So I because said, okay. Because in, in my experience... Right. Kind of like our friend John's vacuum machine, right? Right,
1: right. John, Lane, Lane hadn't had a great experience with vacuum machines in the 80s. When they first came out, they, they weren't effective. They weren't great. They were time-consuming.
2: And a lot of, a lot of uh, unsealed bags, right? Right. A lot of bag failures. I don't think the bags were as good back then either. Correct. Probably not.
1: Um, it was new technology. So we went heat shrink for a year. Not even a year. Uh, as elk season. An elk season. So from August to November. And at the end of November, I ordered a brand-new vac- vacuum machine because I hated the heat shrink after we had it.
2: And it wasn't that the heat shrink did... S- Such a bad job, but it has you have to have a the heat film, um, punctures, little little punctures, yeah. They have to perforate it so that when it shrinks it down, the air goes out, and and uh, and they looked okay, they looked fine, they looked pretty good. But when people would defrost, it
1: would melt all over in their freaking, yeah, all the, and then then we'd get a phone call, yeah,
2: all all the, all the. well, all the blood's coming, all the moisture's coming through the plastic. It's It can't be good because then it can freeze or burn and right. everything. And no one had an issue with freezer burn.
1: Well, and I even talked to people who'd come back the following year before, you know, during our transition, and they said it never freezer burned. Like, like because it's double layered, it didn't freezer burn. But in the back of my mind, I knew that we needed to go to vacuum. I just needed to get Lane on board. And so the, what finally happened is I just ordered one. And I go, Lane, you have you have a new tool showing up. I had the electrician go wire a spot for it. And it showed up one day and Lane did not have an impressed face on his face.
2: When it I probably off. didn't because I I had seen vacuum machines that were double chambered and and the thing went back and forth and it took forever for it to set the atmosphere out. And, and it doesn't seem it. to do a good job. And it didn't seem to do a job. And here we had a single chamber. Vacuum machine that only that you could only seal on two sides instead of three or four sides, and I'm thinking, how do we keep up with the meat cutters?
1: And within a week, Lane realized that that
2: person could out vacuum
1: pack yeah the amount of meat they could cut in a
2: shop. My my meat wrapper can keep up with two meat cutters and a boner.
1: And and here's the thing, we. We went I went out and I did a lot of research and I bought the best we could
2: find. It is not an inexpensive piece of machinery.
1: No, no. That machinery cost us over fifteen K, and I'll just be blunt with everybody. It's fifteen grand. And it's not a dual chamber because everybody I'd been around, we didn't like their dual chambers. Cause and then when you, if you get a really big product, like a like a big brisket, they don't seem to seal right. And then they fight with them and they, they use extra bags. Well, this one you just pull out the bottom plates. And you, can, you could pretty much, I think you could do a whole leg if you had to. If you, if you could get a big enough bag.
2: If we could get a big enough bag, we could do a... We might be able to do a steamboat. We could do a steamboat if we could get a big enough bag.
1: But they don't make a big enough bag. Just so everybody's aware, they don't make one big enough.
2: That but, we've been able to find. Right. And I've called everyone. And right now, big bags are... Super it's,
1: expensive
2: and they're super hard to right, get because right. they've been making them for 85% of the product that goes through and they've been hard to source.
1: Right. And and that so so I'm going to tell you right now, you know that vacuum packer it sped it sped our our wrapping up immensely. But the other thing it did is it gives everybody an opportunity to see every product
2: that's cut. And this is a good lead in because right. Steve doesn't doesn't realize we did a couple wagyu for some customers down in utah and uh they like um they like what we call dino bones or dino ribs we take the full plate of the rib
1: you guys would call them in the midwest a plank okay yeah but but we call them dino ribs here because
2: my son likes to eat dinosaurs but the thing is is uh we haven't been able to source uh bag big enough to do a full rib we've always had to cut our plates so out. this 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 time we did the but diagonal rib, but I cut it between the ribs lengthwise and gave him two instead of one. I don't know how Keith's going to like that, but it's something uh, we had to do to be able to get him a product. I think he'll be fine.
1: Well, well, and for Keith, one he's not going to care. He's just going to sit them yeah. side by side on the smoker and he'll be fine.
2: That's what that's what I figured. But sometimes you're going to get something back in your Create your, your boxes that you scratch your head about and say, well, why did they do this? And most people, you know, if you call and
1: ask, they're, they're going to tell you. Lane's going to be like, hell, we don't have a big enough bag right now. We, we're on back orders on our largest bags, and I know we've been for almost four months. Longer. About probably. it's probably before elk season, right? So August. Try since last year. You know, I haven't
2: I, been able to get a big bag. And,
1: and luckily Lane had bought enough up front that we had them for a long time.
2: Yeah, we've been out of them since about the beginning of elk season. Right. Yeah. So
1: so I tell people, I go, you know, sometimes sometimes logistics in the butcher shops one of the hardest things
2: to do. And we're going to talk a little bit of logistics and some things yep. that we're going to say, this is going to be, a, what the hell is that segment?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, and here's the deal. So, so since we're talking about this, we're going to start off what this is really about. Today we want to talk about the weird stuff that I see posted all the time. And I have to ask Lane what it is. And that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, and that's the reality of it. Because sometimes I'm looking online and somebody's selling Wagyu online. And I go, Lane, what cut is this? Well, Lane goes, well, that's in New York. And I go, it doesn't look like a New York.
2: And I say, trust me, Steve. Right. That's in New York. He says, well, it isn't, it's skinny. Or or, well, or, or it's been cut weird where where there's... Oh, they cut the bottom of the New York off yeah. instead of cutting past the acorn, little acorn muscles there. And it just it looks, looks like it's three quarters there instead of the whole New York, right? You know,
1: you know and, and, it's, and each butcher has their own style, right? Like, like, I like to say that style. So, like, we do not like long-tailed ribeyes. Hate them. I will not, like, I will straight call whoever's cutting meat that day out if I walk in there and see them. Even Lane and lane goes i wasn't done trimming yet that's what he always <laughs> says but 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 the reality is that i cannot stand the the non uniformity of them
2: and you have to have some uniformity in the business right you just have to well, just like the other day the other day a lady calls up and she'd been look looking on the internet right right and she says well i want a Denver steak. Well, I wanted to talk about this anyway. So, Lane, what is your opinion on a Denver steak? Basically, what a Denver steak is, is a boneless short rib underneath, yeah. the, underneath the rib of the, the arm, of the shoulder, the shoulder clod. You yeah. take the meat off, you cut it horizontally, and cut it kind of like thickness of a steak, and they call them Denver steaks.
1: And the reason these came about is because they're value-added cuts. So somebody in the beef program, or somebody at a restaurant, decided they could find an extra piece of meat,
0: mm-hmm.
1: cut it the way that's not being cut normally, mm-hmm. label it, and sell it for a premium. Correct. And and who is the you know who's the pioneer for one of these these everybody everybody always calls and says oh we want flank or uh, flat irons, Lane. Who made flat irons popular? TGI Fridays. They had a $5 flat iron during the 90s, Mm. and that really brought people to eating flat iron steaks. Well, here's the problem. Lane, where's the flat iron come from?
2: It's the top muscle right on the scapula, the most used, coarse muscle on a beef.
1: And I would say, everybody goes, oh, it's so tender, and I'm trying to figure out if you've been eating shoe leather leather or not, because... it, it, the coarseness of it is what gets me. I'm a texture guy.
2: You're a texture guy.
1: Uh, the coarseness of a flat
2: iron, it's just not enjoyable to me. And and to do them right, there's a, there's a big membrane, a big piece of... That's to be cut right out of the middle. And you have to f- kind of flay it out like a a salmon flay, right? Right. And you have to get the fl- that membrane off and you've got two flat irons off of, off of the one side but it's the only cut of meat that is you're cooking it and cutting it against the grain of the meat
1: which is wild isn't
2: it yeah it's it's it would be like cutting your tenderloins lengthwise yeah right yeah, that would be and then and then and because of how you do it the the grain of the meat interferes with well and it the shrinks, tenderness of and it, it shrinks weird too so like when you cook it and so you know the flat iron is It's a cut that takes a long time to do. It's labor intensive. And out of all your steaks, I would rather have a sirloin tip steak than a flat iron. Than a flat iron.
1: Well, and here's the other problem with it, Lane. You know, let's go back to the Denver. When you were cutting meat in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, did you do many Denvers?
2: No. They'd throw
1: that shit in the grinder.
2: Or 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 make bonus Back ribs, ribs out right? It, right? So, so and now, then, and then you'd have the, then you'd have the back ribs, yep, and uh, have a back rib product. Product also, it's just like the, you see, petite sirloins all over the place <laughs> here in the West now, right? <laughs> yeah, No yep. petite petite sirloin. Albertsons went to. So Swift, I believe it was so, Swift, so, so, and they so said,
1: JBS and Swift. Um, Albertsons is a multinational chain now. It used to not be, right. but it is it's, now. It's, a it's, now of, cr- is it's now part of the Kroger,
2: Kroger family.
1: But back in the day, they had a college in Boise, in our main capital for the state of Idaho. It's called Albertsons College.
2: But, but, but the... But, but, here, the here's, go ahead.
1: Here's, here's how they figured it out. They had a marketing manager down at that, at that school, and they were trying to figure out how to market better things in the grocery store. And they went to JBS and
2: Swift at the time. And they went to Utah State yep. University. Meat Labs and Sciencing. And then they said, we want a steak that's inexpensive, that we can call our own steak. Right. And they went to the kind of in the ball area, is the sirloin. Yep. And took a part out that usually goes to ground beef turned it around, started cutting it. And they said, you know, this isn't a bad bad piece of meat. And there's two on every beef. Right. Two nice sections on every beef. Yep. And they... And they would have been ground beef anyway. Right. And they cut them out. They trim them, throw them in a bag. And so the meat cutters at the shops can take them out of the bag and just cut the steaks out of them. Right. And you got your petite sirloin. And, and the people... There's some
1: other grocery stores that are doing it now... That not oh, it got on fast. Yeah, that not only use that model, but they're also pulling the culotte now.
2: Yeah. And cutting it. That's what we originally cut when we would say the original petite sirloin. Yeah, they were all... We would take the culotte yep, and...
1: sirloin caps. Yeah. That's all it was. Sirloin caps yeah. were being pulled and cut up as... Yeah, we
2: take the lifter and yep. cut it the other direction because it's meant to be cut that way anyway. Right. And uh, that's what we originally called the petite sir- sirloin. But they found another part of the beef that they could take it from, take it from, and more, more of it, right, and faster for the meat cutter to do it.
1: Well, and it didn't take any skill to cut the actual steak once it was pulled. Exactly, and and so you know, Utah State University came out with a lot of early on cuts because they had a what was called Tri Millers at the time. It was it was later bought out by Swift. Right, it's in Hiram, Utah. Yep, right Um, down the street. And the school and the the packing house had a very close relationship. Uh, the school's educators helped make the the slaughter facility a better place.
2: Yeah, and the other thing is, is they had a meat training program, right. and so it Wait, constantly gave them a source of entry level, right, entry
1: level people for the slaughterhouse. Yeah. Lane went there. he, he he's a graduate. I, I'm a graduate, and then he went to Swift. <laughs> no, I actually went to TriMiller, you went, well, the pork oh, yeah. place. The yeah, pork place. You Went to the pork place instead, yeah. but yeah. but, you, but same, same ownership, right? Um, family, yeah. I guess back then Millers would have owned it individually. I, well, but that's the thing, guys. Like like we need to we need to have a very clear understanding that Wagyu is not conventional cattle, and some of the stuff we do with conventional cattle, some cuts
2: we can't be doing with Wagyu. And, and good and bad, right? Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Most people that buy Wagyu here mm-hmm. from us, they're not familiar with the Japanese cuts. Nope.
1: And they're buying full cattle, right? So when we sell a large majority of our cattle, it goes to private high-end
2: clients that have a basic understanding of what they saw at the grocery store. And then they they would get try and walk them through the cut sheets and give them their options. Right. And most of those guys will have us cut it the way they would normally cut anything else.
1: Which is fine. Which is fine. but, But here's the thing, and I'm going to tell you this right now. The one thing we have noticed that we have to do every single time, without fail, the three main primals have to look just like an Angus, have to look just like a Hereford, have to look just like what somebody's going to see in shape at the grocery store. Correct. Every once in a while we get a tomahawk. Which, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and, 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 and things like Thor's hammers and things like that. But by and large, people want something they recognize. So when you're selling a product online, and I, I am around meat more than most, I would say for a guy who doesn't work at the shop, I probably see more meat than most people. He has.
2: He gets lots of pictures of, right. of meat.
1: Right, right. And, and and not only our stuff, but other people's stuff and stuff that Lane does. And, and, and Lane usually sends me a picture a couple times a week just to show me what like, like when he runs into cool things or weird things or, or whatever it is. But here's the problem. If I can't look at a picture and go, oh, that's a New York. Oh, that's a ribeye. Oh, that's a tenderloin. You've got a problem. Yeah. Because if I can't recognize it, 90% of the public can't recognize it. You know, and then and then if you really want to throw some wild things in there, and you start talking about chuck steaks, and things like that, I'm gonna tell you a secret, guys. Nine times out of ten, nobody knows what it looks like, so it doesn't matter what you show them. They're looking for what does the ribeye look like? What does the New York look like? What does the sirloin look like? What does the tenderloin look like? That's what they want to see.
2: Try maybe yeah. right yeah, brisket, right? Those are Just the, the, base, the basic the basic things so, that so people so are buying it for.
1: I understand you guys all want to show your marbling and your chuck eyes and you want to show all your marbling and your chuck steaks but it doesn't matter because this is the deal dude if you're showing me those pictures and not showing me ribeyes I'm going to tell you your marbling is not as good as you think it is because everybody knows that marbling is only judged from a ribeye <sighs> cut oh and I don't want to see it from up by the chuck I want to see it at this at junction the
2: break. At, from the New York to the right. nearby, because yeah.
1: that's all that matters. You can you can hog swallow anybody with a chuck steak on a wagyu, right, Lane? Yeah. You know, another one. I've seen people take pictures of inside brisket. Well, no shit. It's not. It's going to be great. If you fed it half-assed, it's still going to be good. But but these are the things that infuriate me, and I'm not even the guy that has to cut it and deal with meat.
2: Like, like Lane does that for me. We had a recently had a wagyu in that. They they came in and said, "Yeah, this is seven eighths wagyu," and was really excited about it. And and he'd uh, been feeding it and things and and I cut it and broke it at the at the rib in the New York and. And I this, get an
1: instant phone call.
2: This, well, and a picture. Yeah. And she said, you know, where...
0: What on what, earth? What,
2: what isn't he doing? <laughs> I mean, there was n- no marbling in it. There was no eye appeal in it. There were, I mean, it, it, it was probably... It the, looked like a
1: select, a select, even Cutter canner,
2: right? Yeah, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't grade a select grade. It wouldn't, it, it was just very, very... To me, it was disappointing and almost heart-wrenching because I knew, you know, this guy was so excited about it and things, and I told Steve, now I've got to call him, and we've got to talk about it, and...
1: So, and I always, Lane always calls me first because here's the deal. When it comes to feeding, when it comes to proper nutrients and management, I... I, when I say we we consult a nutritionist, I mean I call them, tell him what I'm feeding, and ask him if he thinks it's okay. He doesn't design our stuff, not not even a little bit. Yeah. I call him and go, "This is what my outcome I want is. This is the outcome that I think we're we're going to hit at this many days. This is what I'm going to feed them. Do you see a problem?
2: And if they do see a problem, sometimes you'll take a recommendation but most of the time you'll say i'm going to see what this is gonna do yeah Uh,
1: and and here's the deal my nutritionist i've known for 25 years you know uh, he taught me some college classes back in the day like me and him have a friend relationship more than a client relationship so i call him to make sure that i'm not doing something that's going to hurt the cows you know, I'm making sure that that I haven't overlooked something in my build for dietary qualityness, and this is the problem. This animal had two problems. I can tell you right now by looking at it, Lane. A, they didn't feed him. B, they had
2: shitty genetics, or the stuff that they were feeding him wasn't agreeing with the cow. That's right? what I'm saying. Like, like nutritive base wasn't working. Yep.
1: A- and and I don't know how many people are on here from Utah, but. You know, these guys came out of the central part of the state. They're feeding a lot of three-way um, as their as their roughage, which isn't very high in protein. Um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get enough time to talk to him about how much grain he's feeding, but I can tell you, it didn't look like very much because he didn't have any cover.
2: Yeah, he said he gave him like a gallon a day.
1: Right, right, and that's not near enough. You giving a gallon a day of grain, disp- and it was probably corn. It was the the Lane, Lane, Lane Felstead finishing method. Finishing method, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Lane, Lane, Lane's a high-quality finisher, trust me. We, the, first time, the first time he told me how do you finish the steer one time, I was like, yeah, no wonder it turned out bad. <laughs> lick a grain. Yeah. <laughs> let him lick, lick, it, lick the bucket in the morning and let it lick him at night. But, but the reality is a lot of people are like that, right? A lot of people aren't going to call the, the IFA distributor and have a nutritionist come out. Here, here's the deal, dude. Most nutritionists come out for free. As long as you'll buy a little product.
2: And that's what I told the, the customer. I just said, you know, you need to look at your, your feeding and what you're feeding them. He says, well, I feed them as much three way as I can, and little grain and corn. And I said, you yeah, you probably ought to get hold of a nutritionist. I can tell you right now it doesn't sound like you're feeding them enough protein. Yeah. I said, and when we feed our our cattle come up with our ration, we're feeding less than 4% of our whole ration. Yeah. Corn. Corn. Or less.
1: Yeah, and, and mainly I'd like to get to zero, but I'm always going to feed corn silage because it works.
2: And then <laughs> we, you know, we like, we like uh, barleys and white wheats and things like that that no are high product. protein.
1: Yeah. There is no better product to feed a cow than, than barley. Distiller's barley. Okay. And we're right in the middle of barley. Yeah. I literally live where most your cooers' barley's grown.
2: And Budweiser, and too. And
1: Budweiser and de Modelo are right up the road from us. Their, yeah. main, their main malting plants
2: are like 25 minutes from the house. And so that's, uh, there's a lot of barley. There's yeah. a lot of barley to be had in this area. And, and, and if they don't quite make the protein. Or they get it rained on. And stuff. Well, all of a sudden that barley becomes. Uh, cheap. 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 Dirt cheap. Yeah. Like, so like we're talking under $5 a bushel dirt cheap. And, not, and we realize that not everybody has that advantage.
1: Right. Right. But you can find something where you live that, that, that's better than corn. The reason corn's so important and everybody go, oh, I have a corn finished animal is because it was cheap. Corn used to be the cheapest product out there. Exactly. I could have bought corn cheaper than the barley that I grew in the backyard. Can't do that anymore. No. You know, and, and, and the, the reality is this guy, he, he bought some cattle from someone going out of business they were all red cattle, no black cattle mixed in, no black Wagyu mixed in. And with red Wagyu especially, you better have a damn good breeding or you're going to be real sad. We've, we've seen this firsthand. Time after time. Our red cattle marble as good as most black cattle. I'm not going to say they marble as good as the best black cattle, but they are damn close to some of the better black cattle. And, and here's the deal. It, you only get that through breeding. You only get that through genetics, and there's very few people that can do that. The big one is, though, is let's, let's be honest. Denver steak, Lane, what would you pay for a Denver steak, even
2: off of Wagyu? Off of Wagyu, about $12 a pound because I'd grind it. Right. We'd make hamburger out of it, <laughs> right? Right. 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 So, so flat irons. Flat irons. If it was my choice, I'd grind them. Right. And here's the deal, guys.
1: I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, I don't eat flat irons.
2: I refuse. You'd like the hanger steak.
1: Oh, yeah. The hanger steak. Everybody's favorite meal. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Every butcher's favorite piece of meat to steal.
2: No, that's the oyster steak. Oh, yeah.
1: Sorry. Sorry. Oyster steak. The
2: hanger's the second most Uh, important steak to steal. Right? So,
1: So here's the deal, guys. Hanger steaks are absolutely terrible.
2: You get like maybe one and a half bites. Right. And through it is sinewy. Right. And, and, and here's and the deal, dude. Yucky. And it's going to be half dried out because if your butcher has a quality, a quality aging process. Right. You will not have a nice hanger. Nope. nope. It's impossible.
1: And, and if you had a, if I had it my way, they'd, every single one of those would end up in the grinder. Or the bone marrow. Yeah, or the trash. If, it, if it's dried down to a nub, it's might as well just toss those. But, but you know, and then, and then here's the thing. Everybody goes, oh, where's my hanger steak? Where's it at? My butcher stole it. No, he threw it away because it's not a good piece of meat, A
2: Or trimmed it and put yep. it in the ground beef. Or beer.
1: put it and trimmed it. Yeah, because he doesn't want you to have an unhappy experience, but you go, oh, it's from Wagyu. It's worth money. I'd rather make $12 a pound of my hamburger.
2: And the thing is, is... That conversation should be happening with your butcher in the butcher shop while you're going through what you want with your, right, your stuff. Right, right. And he can say, oh. "You're give you his opinion on a hanger. Right. Or an oyster or a flat iron or whatever the, the, the fad. The fad of the month. The fad of the month is. And he can educate you, tell you what his... Feelings are about it. But bottom line, if if you want that hanger steak, he'll cut it for you. He would, if if he's reputable location, right? Right. But again,
1: if it's not a good quality piece of meat because it is shrunk away in his cooler, he that, ain't
2: giving it to you. No, and he's gonna call you and he's gonna say, Hey, it just uh, shrunk too much and it's not worth Yeah. Not worth that year.
1: Well and, and, and here's the other thing, you know, everybody starts talking about these these fad cuts, right? We have a couple clients that request full Japanese cut. And even in full Japanese cut, the hanger steak is thrown away. It is not utilized. So I'm not really sure where this hanger steak thing came from, but it's retarded.
2: So, anyway, so that's been kind of... Uh... So,
1: so Lane's other
2: favorite piece of piece of meat to cut is flank steaks. Flanks are okay. They're easy to they're right. easy to get out and stuff, and they're they're fine. And if you have a nice recipe for a flank steak, they if you're into did. that kind of thing, you know, I've seen seen them wrapped and.
1: Usually, the Mexicans cut them up and make fajitas out of them.
2: And other people will put like a cheese on them or cream cheese and Pinwheel spinach one. and make pinwheels and and put them in a broiler or something in an oven and make, and, and they can turn out fine, right? But right. most people, most, have never cooked them. And those are the people that take them and would just fry them in the frying pan. Cremate them. And they come back and they're unhappy. But if you can get online um, and get some recipes for flank steak, Like, there's a cut that I don't care for that Stephen loves. Which is? Asabuco.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, Asabuco.
2: But he says, Lane, obviously, you haven't had it like I make it. And I would say, obviously, that's probably a true statement. Because I've gone online and I've looked at things for Asabuco. And I tell you, I don't have the patience to cook Asabuco all day long and <laughs> but I do to, to, uh, Steve loves doing that. Yeah. He loves to I won't I've the closest I get is taking a culotte and I can do a culotte for 8 hours and it comes out amazing. Right. But I can do that. I can take a pork shoulder and put it in the crock pot for 8 hours and I get pretty good um, pulled pork. Right. But I'm just not a long... He's not a patient cook. Yeah, I, I just, I don't. But I can do the culotte because the reward is definitely worth the patience.
1: And that's the reality. So, lane, lane will probably end up when I start making. So, asabuco, I like making in the spring. I'm, I'm a seasonal eater. It's weird. I eat certain things at certain times of the year.
2: Corned beef St. Patrick's Day.
1: Yep, my son is a St. Patrick's kid, so we always do corned beef, even though his mother doesn't love it. <laughs> so, but here, here's here's the problem, guys. We're we're now. Wagyu is the, one of the fastest growing industries in America right now. And if you cannot conform a little bit to the industry standards, you're going to have a hard time selling your product. You might sell it once or twice, but, but long-term success right now, most of our clients that we're selling to on a regular basis, we've almost got a five-year period in with them. We're damn close on a lot of them. We do. If not a little longer. Yeah. You know, and, and, and those are the guys that are going to bring us, orders that are exactly the same every year or bigger
2: yes and they seem to grow every year because they tell their friends and they have their friends over and then they say you'll say okay we'll do your one and a half wagyu well can you do us two and a half this year right right
1: right and that's and that's how it grows right it grows organically Um, we deal with chefs I don't love it I I don't love dealing with them I, I my patience level with them is fairly short because I feel like they're a lot of drama and we've had to cut a few off. Cut a few off, yeah. Right, and that's mm-hmm. that's part of business, but that's that's business, right? You know, it, well, here's some of the big things that, that I can tell you that me that Lanes had to train me through, just because I'm not from the meat industry. Coolots, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I had no clue what the hell they were. Pacania, sometimes they're called, depending if you're South American or, or European. Yeah. Baseball sirloins. You know, Lane had to walk me through that one, right? It's just literally cutting the middle out of your sirloin. You're wasting all that outer skin, that outer meat. You know, me and Lane, uh, we're going to start changing how we cut our rib steaks now. We're gonna start pulling lifters.
2: Oh yeah, we've always pulled lifters. Yeah, yeah. But we've never just. But in, we're gonna we're gonna we're sell never them as caps. Cap yeah, we never we've never incorporated in in our offering as right. and then. And we are, and we're telling people how to cook them and things and that they'll love them and things. And.
1: But but it's the education behind that that is necessary. So if we're going to sell cap steaks, I've got to have a way to tell people how to cook them.
2: Yeah, and we're not going to cut them as steaks. We're going to cut them the full cap so that they can cook them and prepare them and slow cook them. And then when they serve them, then they're cutting them for... Presentation. Their presentation.
1: Right. You know, so, so there's stuff like that that... I'm not saying that new stuff is bad. I'm not saying that the weird stuff is bad. I'm just saying if you're going to do it, do it right. Do it right. Don't just do it because you heard somebody wants a Denver steak, or somebody needs a flat iron, or you can make more money doing that. Because I'll tell you right now, I bet you over the long run, my twelve dollar a pound hamburger will outpace anybody's flat iron sales.
2: Yeah, they they
1: will. Because here's the deal. So I get another pound of of hamburger, right? You may get $25 for your flat irons, but I just sold 25 pounds of hamburger. And everybody calls and cries all the time to us and says, hey, we have a hard time selling our hamburger. We hear it all the time. And I always tell them, well, then you're not doing it right. Because that's usually one of the first things we try to get moving as fast as we can. So what you've done is you've sold everything else and now you don't have a lost leader to bring them into your hamburger.
2: Give them a package. And hamburger for us, it's like, crap, I made a mistake. I am so sorry. Right. Here's 10 pounds of Wagyu hamburger. Right. Please take it and enjoy it and, and know that I certainly didn't mean to mess your stuff up. Because at times, whether, happens, whether I do it which I do it a lot less than my help does it. Right. But I tell the guys so that they're not afraid and that they're trying to learn and do things right and stuff. You're going to make mistakes. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you make a mistake? Stephen's tri-tip goes into the hamburger. It's hamburger. (laughs) We've done it. It's hamburger. We've been there. Yeah, it's it's hamburger. It, It still has a value. Yep. And it's something that we can package correctly for the people but on the hind end you better be willing to fix your mistake right right. whatever that is right
1: right so so i'm talking about weird things weird cuts and me and lane play some weird cut games from time to time uh about it's probably been five years ago four years ago now i go lane what would happen if we left the ribs on that brisket And Lane Lane gave me this look.
2: I thought about it. Why
1: on earth would you leave the ribs on? And I go, Lane, think about it. What's the one complaint everybody has about their brisket? That the flat dries out on them. Yeah. So we started cutting bone in briskets. And I will tell you, after cooking probably 15 of them, that I dread cooking a normal brisket.
2: Yeah, I mean it. It protects that fat. It adds flavor. F- adds
1: flavor. Adds. What what the one thing uh, I really noticed was weird about it is as the fat is melting, rendering down, it hits that bone plate and it sits there and percolates back up through the meat, mm-hmm. and then finally, once the meat is so saturated with the wagyu
2: loveliness, it runs out the side.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But the only thing you have to caution a person about tell me how enthralled you were the first time you had to get that (laughs) brisket bones off so so it took a minute right it took me i had to think about it. you had to think about it but it it's not a real it's not difficult it's not a real easy process it's
1: not but if you have a really long knife and it's sharp
2: and it's sharp you can run it right
1: along that bone plate and it comes right off
2: and Mr. Wolf, <laughs> how many people have a sharp knife, a truly oh, sharp knife Lord. at their home? Very few. Very few. That that's, that's, has been my, my bugaboo about it. I love it. Uh, we've been to several parties where Steve's made the brisket. He probably makes a bit. We, we took one of our briskets down to their big brisket contest in Texas and things. I bet you flat out. He would win the brisket contest. There is nobody that cooks brisket like Steve Wolf.
1: Well, uh, and we brought, we had a guy who was running on the full time brisket circuit. You know, we had, we had Ruben come and make multiple of them just to test out how it was going to work. Yeah. You know, and, and like he said though, again, you have to have a sharp knife. It has to be long. Like I, I've got a, what is that, 18 inch probably slicer. Yeah. A, and, and it's sharp. Like I tell my wife she can't use it, it's sharp enough. And she uses it and dolls it. Then yeah. we have to take it to the, char- oh, the knife man. guy. To- Luckily, the knife guy comes like every two weeks at the butcher shop. So if I need something, I can drop it off to him.
2: Yeah. But anyway, but but that's the thing. It's, it's amazing. Everything about that bone in brisket, as far as. It changes the whole game because it, you don't have to. Worry. yeah, flavor, juiciness protects the flat. I mean, but there is nothing bad to say about the end product except how the hell do I get to it right this is that's how the hell segment right
1: but but, you know you know I thought about this one you know because my Uh. my son's birthday is coming up and I'll probably make something I thought about making a full brisket and then Lane told me it was a bone out one but I got thinking about it a little bit you almost could slice it down to the bone lane Mm -hmm. and then slice it and then back cut
2: it we could probably we could Score it. Score it. Score it so that they can take it out a little section yeah. at a time, right?
1: Right, and I think— It wouldn't hurt it. No, because you'd cook it as a whole, yeah. and then you would just you would just cut the, the sections out and then cut them individually, and it may be better for more people because I know a lot of people struggle getting nice, even cuts of brisket uh, because they don't have the eye or the, the training to do it. I, I struggle. That's why I usually get everything ready and then have Lane slice it for me. Or I bring out the big meat
2: slicer. That's why he invites me to dinner. Isn't it? Oh, like, yeah. He likes me.
1: Yeah. He just, like, he so, needs so, some nice so, skills. so the key is is you invite Lane and tell him to get there about 30 minutes early. <laughs> and then he comes in the door and you go, hey, I need you to cut that up for me. Right? Like, like yeah. why not let the professional do it? I don't go into the mechanic's house and say, I'll fix your car. But everybody's got to remember, though, that, that regionally, too, we have different things. You know, here, here we we ha- we make a thing called soup bone. I, I've i asked a lot of people, and a lot of people, some people say yes, some people say no. I've noticed the farther south you go, they don't say that they know what it is. The farther north we go, it seems that most people can have an understanding of it. But but asabuco, soup bone, whatever you want to call it, it it's cut shank, right? Shank and knuckles, right? Shank and knuckles. Yeah. And, and we do a lot of bone broth, so... You know, it amazes me how many people we have buy, buy whole Wagyu that
2: don't want the best parts. It's amazing how unreasonable Steve can get when somebody brings their Wagyu in and they don't want their soup bones and they end up in the bone barrel. Oh, yeah. And he he is just really an unreasonable guy about that.
1: Right, because the, you have you have value there, right? Whether you know it or not, you have value there, and I'm I don't like wasting shit.
2: Yeah, and he probably makes two hundred quarts of bone broth a year.
1: Right, because we use a lot of it at our mm-hmm. house. Right, my yeah. my wife drinks it because I don't know she she likes that kind of stuff. Like like my wife's a little crunchy and. She, she uses bone broth when she's sick, and she uses bone broth if she feels like the kids aren't feeling great, and sometimes she just drinks it to drink it, right? So we go through so much bone broth that I just I tell Lane, I go, if they don't want their knuckles, they don't want their soup bones. We're, we're making
2: bone broth. Right. And then if I need some bone broth for the and stuff, I go down and get me a right. quart of bone broth.
1: Right, and, and, we, and we vacuum pack it so that Lane can just come and grab the whole thing. It's one quart in a vacuum bag in, in the freezer, and off he goes.
2: But it's kind of exciting. We kind of solved a problem with our bone-in briskets right. on this podcast, right. right?
1: Right, and and you know what? If you've never had one, maybe you have your butcher cut you one and try it out. You know, maybe you can sell them. Like, I, I, I'd love to sell more of them, but getting people over the hump is a little hard sometimes.
2: And I think this will be thing that we can get them over that hump.
1: Right. It makes sense if we can help them out a little bit. So the final segment today is going to be how to lose $4,000 real quick. <laughs> it's called
2: lineal thinking. Lineal
1: thinking. So I'm get, we're going to talk about this only because if it can happen to me and Lane, I feel like most you guys don't have a chance with your butcher. <laughs> so, so Lane does all of my billing yeah so I he, do so he he talks to the clients anymore my, my life's gotten pretty hectic so Lane deals with most of the clients anymore he, I set the pricing right he sets the pricing for me now um he he pretty much takes care of most of the meat side all of the meat side because I just don't have time for it and we we have a, a very good customer who wanted who who added a half to his normal order
2: correct. And so to So that off, left us an extra half to sell. Correct.
1: Let's do, uh, and we have a broker, well, broker's not the <laughs> right word. Let's we not go a, down that. We road. have a, we
2: have a, we have we a have, marketing we have a marketing
1: mm, expert,
0: expert.
2: That
1: that sells that sells uh, like and we have weird stuff cuz most of our clients don't want a half. They if want a quarter. Right. They want uh, it drives me crazy. Well, anyway, so we let her deal with that portion of it because Lane's not going to deal with it because it's too busy and nonsense. So we, we we give her a cut, so that that's you know it's worth a her generous time. cut, right? Ten percent, right? And that's so so ten percent of whatever she sells, she gets to keep. I feel like it's super fair.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, Lane charges out, so we we set a price. It's ten grand. That's what it is. Has been for the last couple of years. We probably should look at our pricing and move it up, but we don't. But so, so it's 10 grand an animal that is processed. And if you're within 200 miles, I'll probably drive it to your house and drop it off to you. Right. That, that's the reality. That's what we do. Right. That's part of it. And so, this guy. So buys a, he buys every year, every year. And, um, usually, you know, our, our animals are running about 1300 pounds hanging weight. So that equivalates a ten, you know, seven dollars a pound, seven and some change. Yeah, seven fifteen, seven thirty,
2: yeah. whatever it is, right? You
1: know, you know, hanging weight price. Right. Uh, we we don't. We're just keeping track of that, right? We just charge ten grand, and and Lane comes to me and goes, "Hey," he goes, "Keith needs an extra one, an extra half." I go, "Fine, that's good." And then our help helped us out and killed the uh, the wrong one.
2: About uh, four hundred
1: pounds light. Four hundred pounds light, I would say. Um, so Lane being Lane goes, okay, we have to make this right for Keith. And I, I, we're in the truck talking about this, right? This isn't like I'm on the phone and I'm somewhere else. We're talking, and I go, yeah, we're,
2: we're coming back from a trip to central Utah. Yeah, from from dropping bulls off. Dropping bulls off, yeah. yeah and I go, sure, that makes sense. So and,
1: in my mind, Lane was going to adjust the second half, the half, in 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 price per pound, equaling out
2: five thousand dollars. But he, when that conversation happened, he says, "Yeah." So the other, we got into a price per pound, and the other yeah. animal was seven dollars and fifty cents a pound. And so I'm going. The easiest way that we make sure that they get the same thing as they did last year
1: <laughs>
2: is give them seven dollars and fifteen a pound. And so I charged him out for. Seven dollars and 15, 15 a pound hanging weight. <laughs> so we lost two, two grand on that one. and Barbara's, we discounted that half so we could right. move it. Right. So we lost a1,000 on top of that, and then we had to pay her 800 dollars 800 bucks, so there's 1,800 bucks there. And then on the half that we did, instead of getting 5,000 for the half, like we should have we got, we got 2, 30,
1: 2800 30,
2: 2, 34. 34, is that, so we're not near as bad.
1: Yeah, 34, so we're 14, roughly yeah. 1,600 short.
2: So, because the conversation, in my mind, went from animal to pound. Instead of animal for animal. It was r- way lineal thinking, and right. by damn, they got the same price per pound as they got last year.
1: And, and across the whole poundage, not yeah. just yeah. both animals. Yeah,
2: just, and it was like, whew, Right. There went the profit on that animal. And, those and, two animals. And this
1: morning I'm sitting there looking at it, and I'm like, "What on earth has gone on here?" So I call Lane and go, "Hey, Lane, got a question for you."
2: And and that's usually a pretty good start to a conversation because a lot of times it is, "Hey, Lane, I am not happy." Right. 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 It wasn't. It wasn't no. that conversation.
1: No. Because I was what I was trying to figure out what had gone on. Not, not a big. And the reality is, we're only short two grand from what we were going to make anyway. Right, right. And 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 I'm only in it three thousand ish dollars for
2: feed, another two for the
1: animal. So so we're making money still. It's just less.
2: Yeah, we didn't maximize the profit on no. that transaction at all. But
1: I'm going to tell you right now, I'll never make go and call Keith and ask him for more money
2: either. Oh no, we would never do that ever. Ever. In fact, we're going to give them each an extra. Dino rib tomorrow
1: right right yeah. right yeah. so so they're getting a better deal than they've ever gotten but uh, here it, it, that's beyond the point but but if me and lane can have this conversation in a pickup coming back from delivering bulls,
2: and we both understood that we both understood
1: right like we both thought we were on the same page lane was linearly on the page and i was vertically on the page but we were still on the same page
2: and it wasn't until this morning that we were both cooking with gas right
1: right until we were both like oh shit but, and the reality is, is two grand is not going to kill us. It's not. It, it's far from
2: that. Well, we have that conversation all the time, right? Right. Right. What are these people doing? It's just two grand. We, you, you we, know, what?
1: and we get into that a lot. Like, there is a lot of people out there that will fight you tooth and nail for under five thousand dollars
2: run a hundred dollars,
1: for hundred bucks, right? For hundred right. bucks,
2: right? Right, and 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 me and
1: like me and Lane have had to have a conversation a few times where he wanted his two hundred dollars from somebody, and I was like, it's it's not worth. Yeah, the guy that stood us up on the dry ice, right? right? The, yeah, the two, the hundred and thirty-five dollars in dry ice, right? And I and I told Lane, I go, Lane, it's hundred and thirty-five bucks. I'm sure we piss that away eating lunch some sometimes. Right, so so we really need to keep things in perspective. If you're in this game and you
2: are nickel and diming it, <laughs> two grand would be bad. Well, that's the I make Steve giggle all the time. Right, because I've been always been very very conservative. I mean, I think I have the f- my first a blickin' penny so, that I ever have, and he's so got I, a headache.
1: So I tell people all the time. The reason Lane is indispensable is he's the only person I know that can rub two pennies together and make a third. There you go.
2: <laughs> but anyway, but, and so a lot of times in the shop, I am watching the nickels and dimes. Which he should. And Steve tells me all the time you're tripping, tripping over dimes. To pick up pennies. To pick up pennies. Well, he actually tells me I'm picking, I'm passing over dollars to pick up pennies, and good example. We use this product. It's a tape project yeah. product, and I buy them in a dozen at a time. It doesn't. They sell it to me twelve at a time, or a case of seventy-five at a time right. for the same price same money. per roll. Same money. And he just says, just buy the case. And I'm thinking, but I don't need the case. I need 12 to get me through for a month so I can order 12 the next month. And he says, buy the case.
1: And what happens if they don't have them next
2: month? Then we're in trouble. Right. But anyway, but it's it's the same type of thing. Right. I, I, I well, watch, I've always watched pennies and nickels and dimes, and it's been a little... It's just changing my education. I'm still doing that. Right. But I'm doing it so that I have the future of the shop running in case there is a A shortage. A shortage. And we live in Idaho, so a shortage is
1: reality for us a lot of times.
2: Sometimes logistics suck.
1: Um, You know, so we used to buy our our sausage seasoning for our pork. Mm -hmm. uh, Ten at a time. Well, I got tired of that shit. Called over to the person that makes it, and now we're we buy a book ordering. We have to take a lot more, but
2: it's cheaper in the long run. And we've
1: And we go through it like like you wouldn't believe, so it, so it works out for us.
2: And today it's different than when we were starting three years ago, right? Right. We have a little more.
1: Well well, here's the deal, guys. We we're... we have never borrowed a dollar for this shop. Never. I have done I, I told Lane when we started this. That if I was going to be doing this and he was going to be running it, we will do it debt free. I will pay cash for everything up front, and that we will we will never borrow money on this business.
2: Sometimes my note holder is kind of unreasonable, but right, right,
1: but but that that's the
2: reality of exactly. it. Exactly,
1: you know. Within five years, you know, Lane's Lane's built built the, the ability in the business even with the turnover and help we have, we roll somewhere in the neighborhood of five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand a year. In total, in total, in total usage, mm-hmm. you know, our, I, we finished with taxes today. Prime uh, example, I, I finished with taxes with Darren today, and I didn't make a penny. Nope, didn't make a damn penny. Damn it! But um, what do you think our payroll was this year, Lane? And this year, probably. 180,000? 180, 180,000. That's what our payroll is, guys. 180K. And we have good help. Right? So it's like I tell people all the time I go, you know, if you really want to know what a business is worth, take their payroll and times it by 10. Because that's usually what the business is worth. To, you know, because think about this all, all, all Lane would have to do at this point is maintain for five years. And the profit margin would be over a million dollars. Then you can do a lot of stuff, right? hmm Like, you, you, can, you can do a lot of stuff when, you're, when your profit margin hits the million-dollar mark. But, but the big thing is, is we don't owe anybody anything.
2: It would be those first couple years. I mean, first year. First year sucked. We had to go into our reserves the first year for payroll. Twice. Twice, twice, which which that's why there was reserves in there, right? But it, I mean, next year, we haven't had to touch our reserves for payroll
1: in a couple of years now. Yeah, and that's and, and that's huge for us. And we've gone from a shop of three to a shop of five. We have ten people, right? Yeah, yeah. But part times, saying, right? But, but but I'm saying full time five. We, yeah, we went we went from a shop that had three dedicated employees, one working off payroll. Like owner working without payroll right? to 10 people and we don't worry about it. I do call sometimes. I'm like, Lane, why are we like at $10,000 for payroll? <laughs> your guys need a break. They need to go home. They need to go take a nap. And, and, and the thing that, that dictates us the most isn't the fact that we don't want them there working for their overtime. It's that our insurance guy, our freaking workman's comp guy, gets all uppity with us. Yeah. He'll call us and be like, hey, we're going to raise your rates because you're working your guys too many hours. And we usually give the guys the opportunity to do what they want. Like they have the exception, the the number they have to do for the day, and if they want to stay extra, do whatever they. We usually don't don't care too much, you know. But but that's the reality, guys. The butcher shop. If you have a butcher shop, or you're working with a butcher shop, you've got to realize it's a business too. They got to make some money, or they ain't gonna be there
2: to cut your shit up. Oh, well, next next week the. Workman's comp guy will be happy, right? Oh yeah, you're not going to start till Thursday. <laughs> we're not going to start till Thursday next week, so.
1: But but the, you know Idaho's had some terrible weather the last two weeks, right? People two months, two months, three months, yeah. But but like the last two weeks have been terrible. They have been terrible. Um, you know, and we're calving in it. We haven't been losing calves, so we're not going to bitch about that. But the reality is, is we have people that cancel their kill dates just because they can't get their cows out of their their pasture because there's a snowdrift so big they can't get out. So then Lane has to stack them up a couple of weeks down the road and then we end up with kill days where there's they're killing four days a week instead of two. It is what it is. But the reality is is me and Lane have the uh, the luxury of I have the luxury of owning the whole system. Lane helps me with almost all of it. But the big thing is if we can screw this little thing up I don't know how you guys have a chance. Like, unless you're like the penny guy that's downwritten everything, I could easily see it happening to anyone.
2: Yeah. That was pretty funny. I mean, we're laughing at it right now. this morning when we were having conversation, you have to know me, I take things way personal. Yeah. Lane, Lane, Lane's got a soft heart too. So you can't be too mean to him. And so he's asking me these questions and he said, I'm not getting after that, Elaine. This is as much my fault as it is your fault. We didn't communicate. And so uh, that was that enabled me to take a step back and uncross my arms. Right. Take the pouting out. I don't really pout. I
1: just kind of. <laughs> kinda... We'll bring his wife in and confirm he doesn't pout. Hey, Janice, do I pout? She's <laughs> laughing. She's laughing. The answer is yes. Anyway, but.
2: I'm too soft to be a really good businessman because I get butt hurt too easy.
1: Right, right. Lane actually came to me a couple months ago and goes, hey, I think I want to get into politics. And Lane, what did I tell
2: you? He said they'd eat money alive. He says, maybe if we can get you as a coroner, you'll <laughs> yeah, be okay. Yeah,
1: like something where you're not going to have to like talk to any other politicians because they will eat him alive. And and the reality is, is that's what I do anymore. My life's turning more into the, a political role than it is anything else.
2: But that's where we complement each other yeah. so well. Um, we have such different outlooks on life. and, well, and Not brings, on life, but, but, but just up, up how brings. we think, right? right? How we do things. And, uh, uh, um, I've come up through blue collar, um, working really hard to be able to yeah. get to the point that we were at, to uh, be able to retire myself and my wife. On one income. Uh, on one income, to get her into her own she owns her own fabric store. Right. And quilting business. Um, and and Mr. Wolf, he... I come from the business empires. And he has helped us with that yep. a lot as far as mentoring. Um, Janice had a little bit of inheritance when her mom died and stuff. She got in. I mean, it's completely been... It's been yeah self-funded, right? Self-funded. She hasn't had to go to a bank. Nope. She hasn't had to do any of those kind of things. She's done got, she's done some things, right and correct, and expanded. And it's because a lot of that's because of the mentoring that Steve has helped us with as my family, and so, so, he's very business savvy. Um, and I'm very people personal.
1: And that's important, right? Because I don't, I, I struggle with people. I, I, it's my way or the highway most of the time.
2: But your wife does say that it's been good for you to have me as a friend.
1: Right, right. Because, because he, he gives me that input that I don't get, right? I hang out with other guys that are in Lane's same age group, but they've been titans of their industry their whole lives. And they inherited their industry. And, and sometimes I have to come over to Lane's and go, Lane, why are people doing this? And half the time you can tell me why. Oh, they're probably scared, so they're, they're, they're pinching their pennies and instead of fixing their car like they're supposed to, they just keep running it on the same cord of oil and then it blows up and now they don't have a car.
2: And uh, to, to... we lived on different sides of the railroad tracks. Oh, yes,
1: yes, very much so. <laughs>
2: So so one
1: night we were out fishing and I go Lane, uh, I want to show you a show and it's called Trailer Park Boys, and Lane's watching it with me and he's like this is like when I grew up. <laughs> so well,
2: anyway, so we we get we complement each other
1: very well and Lane's way better at customer service than I am, way better because I just tell people to go to hell. Yeah, he says so. Yeah, so that's usually what I say. <laughs> so and. And then and, and yeah, so, your, and, your, and, your problem is, right? Oh, that's not a problem to me, so that's not my it's not my fault, right? But that's just how you know that's the difference between a somebody that was worked most of his life in an area where he had to have some customer service. And I've been lucky enough to pretty much be depend on people who had customer
0: <laughs> right, service.
2: That, right. Down on the lower levels. Right, and and it's
1: because, uh, you know, I I, I was trained from a small age to be a CEO of a a ranch. Small age. Since the time I was eight, I knew what I was going to be doing one day. So, okay, so we've had some fun and we're going to end this today by Lane telling you one more important fact for the day. The important fact, I'm going to leave him with a question and let him answer it. So here it is. Lane, what is one thing that you learned from our conversation this morning about communication?
2: You have to be sure you're talking about the same thing in the right content context. Right, because right. we were both on the same page. We were both talking about the same thing. Right. We both understood everything that each other was saying. And we both went. One person went linear, one person went vertical. We were 90 degrees away from each other being in a straight line. Right. And. And we both thought that everybody knew
1: what was going on. Yeah. So.
2: So, is I what it sh- is. Steve always tells me words have value. Yeah. They it, have, words meaning. have meaning. Yep. They have meaning. And somewhere in there. His meaning and my meaning were a little cross right. crossways.
1: Right, and, and we—the only reason I would have ever known is that I'm uh, I'm an accountant, so I look at the numbers.
2: Because, because Keith paid us. Because
1: Keith paid. us. If he
2: would have waited until Sunday, tomorrow when yeah. we go down and take his, we stuff.
1: wouldn't have known till Monday or Tuesday, right? And then I would have probably waited till Saturday, because I wouldn't have looked at it until Saturday, and. Then we would have been in the same position. then it would have been,
2: what in the hell did we do? Right,
1: right. That's, that's, then it's over and it's, yeah, it's not fun to find that on the backside. No. So, never. Okay, we're going to leave you with that today and we hope to see you next week here at What's New and Wagyu.
2: Bye, guys.
0: A few days for eternity. He was sitting out back in a rocker He said, what you been up to lately? I told him chasing a dollar And in between sips of coffee He poured this wisdom out Said, if you want my two cents on making a dollar count Buy dirt Find a one you can't live without Get a ring, let your knee hit the ground Do what you love but call it work and throw a little money in the plated at church Send your prayers up and your roots down deep Add a few limbs to your family tree And watch their pencil marks in the grass in the yard All grow up Cause the truth about it is It all goes by real quick You can't buy happiness But you can buy dirt Caught on that ladder. Let me tell you what it's all about Find you a few things that matter That you can put a fence around And then he laid it out By dirt Find the one you can't live without Get a ring, let your knee hit the ground Do what you love, but call it work And throw a little money in the plate in church Send your prayers up and your roots down deep And add a few limbs to your family tree And watch their pencil marks in the grass in the yard All grow up Cause the truth about it is It all goes by real quick You can't buy happiness But you can buy dirt You can buy dirt Thank the good Lord for it he ain't making any more of it So buy dirt Find the one you can't live without Get a ring, let your knee hit the ground Do what you love to call it work And throw a little money in the plated church Send your prayers up and your roots down deep Add a few limbs to your family tree Watch their pencil marks in the grass in the yard it All grow up Cause the truth about it is it all goes by real quick you can't buy happiness but you can buy dirt